Welcome to Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. I'm your host, Chad Rzecca. Our guest today is Joe Wilkinson, Vice President of Transportation Consulting at Intelligent Audit, which helps shippers reduce their shipping costs through automated audits, some business intelligence and contract negotiation processes. Joe was a recent guest speaker at the Parsa Forum, where he talked about the strategic use of regional parcel carriers to ensure freight capacity and to reduce parcel shipping costs overall. We'd like to dig into that a little bit more today. But first, Joe, I'd like to just welcome you to the Unboxing Fulfillment Podcast. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate that. Good to be with you today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I think a lot of our guests would like to probably just know a little bit about you and really just how you ended up here. Oh, sure. I started about 25 years ago when I joined FedEx as part of their strategic pricing group working out of the ground headquarters in Pittsburgh, spent eight years with them. From there, I transitioned into a consulting role and have been basically doing transportation consulting for the last 17, 18 years, something like that. It's all sorts of blend together after a while, right? But what do I do? I focus primarily on assessing and negotiating transportation agreements across geographies and across modes, work with shippers to optimize against those contracts, as well as optimizing the contracts themselves. And basically help shippers get where they need to be in terms of transportation maturity. You know, I think you have an interesting perspective on the industry, having been with the carrier to have the behind the scenes look, you know, the consulting where you're helping businesses in their transportation and parcel spend. So I think you've got a really unbiased view on this question I'm about to ask, which is, are brands and shippers just paying more than they should in their transportation spend from your perspective? I definitely have a perspective on it. I guess it depends on who you ask, right? I think the carriers would tell you that what we've seen in the last few years are a, an improvement of the alignment on price to cost to serve. Frankly, I think that's a little bit of a specious argument. If you look at the numbers, I mean, that'll tell you the story, right? If we look at UPS's operating income and margins, for example, if the general rate increases were really just an offset, We'd expect that operating revenue to come in flat, maybe with a little bit of organic growth built into it, but that's not what we're seeing. What we saw is UPS's operating income rose 67% year over year in 2021. I know there's been growth in the market. I know we've seen that growth, we've experienced it, but it wasn't 67% growth in the market. That tells you what you need to know about what has been done with surcharges, with rate increases, et cetera, over the last few years. It's just not in line. Where do you think the carriers, from a carrier perspective, where do you think most of their expenses are being borne? Because in some instances, they're able to pass through fuel, right? Through surcharges, they're going after density and residential and extended delivery surcharges. But where's the erosion from the carrier that they're not recouping their expenses from, do you think? Well, I don't think they're trying to make the argument that they're not recouping the expenses. I think they're trying to make the argument that they're only recouping the expenses. But to your point, the fuel surcharge, based on the way it was built prior to COVID, as fuel went up, so did the surcharge. So theoretically, that would have been a self-healing problem. But we've also seen changes in the fuel indices and the way fuel's calculated, not just in the amount, but in the timing, right? They've made it more timely 
for that fuel surcharge to update relative to the cost of diesel and jet kerosene type jet fuel. Just like the surcharges, the cost increases that we've seen through increased labor cost, increased fuel cost, increased residential percentage as a total percentage of package volume. The cost increases we've seen dwarfs that. I think it's a, let's be kind and call it a yield management play on the carrier's part. Yeah. For years, we've heard, I think, and we know that the B2B and commercial businesses have great density, can go vertical up at high rises, you know, multiple stops. But over the last several or at least a couple years with the rise of B2C, I would think density is now built into the neighborhoods and the residential stops at this point. But we keep hearing there's not density onto the B2C. The carriers really not have density with the surge of B2C fulfillment? To be sure, the density has certainly gone down. The overall density has gone down and its residential deliveries have gone up. I wouldn't even argue at that point. I mean, the delivery densities have gone down. I just think the cost increases have more than offset that. But it's not unfair for the carriers to point out that their average densities are down. That's true. Yeah. Is there a solution for it? Until it's solved for, will shippers be living with this over their heads in terms of costs on the rise from your background working with the carriers? Are there discussions to how to make density, you know, to improve it? I don't think the density is going to improve until the balance starts to swing back and commercial volumes start to catch up a little bit. But I think the question of will shippers have to continue to pay the same kind of premiums they're paying today is as much a market question as it is an operational question. The carriers have been able to force through some of these additional charges and some of these surcharges, some of these general rate increases, because frankly, they could. The question is, will the market support that long term? I tend to doubt. Yeah. What are some success stories or maybe poor stories that you might be able to pass along to our listeners as it relates to just managing parcel? A lot of listeners struggle with not knowing what to do, right? So they come to organizations like Amware or through Intelligent Audit, right? Looking for some type of support. But would you offer up maybe a good experience and a really bad experience when things go, not knowing how to manage parcel or without using the right tools? You know, I'm not going to lie. 2021, 2022 were tough and 2020, frankly. So there were probably more negative stories than there were positive. I would say that the shippers that came out of that situation best were those that were well diversified going into the problem. They already had the relationships. By the time capacity started to tighten, they already had other check valves in there to be able to switch off. We saw some really bloody stories out there. I had one shipper that I know of with roughly a $200 million annual spend where a carrier, I'll leave out the names to protect the guilty came to them and basically said, in 30 days, you're going to have to find a new home for 15% of your volume. It wasn't a price negotiation play. It wasn't anything like that. It was 30 days from now, I'm going to be picking up 85% as much volume as I'm picking up today. 30 days, that's a problem. Unless you have established relationships, integrated technology, the ability to operationally turn that ship, you've got a problem. But it's a problem in any, in any circumstance. Was that during peak? Yeah. Well, all of 2021 was peak, right? Or at least the last half of it. So it wasn't during the holidays, but it was during a peak. Similar situation, slightly different carrier. I had a $40 million shipper who a carrier came in, 
put a new agreement down on their desk, said, this is the agreement you're going to sign, or we're going to stop picking up your packages in 30 days. Once we analyzed that, that agreement represented a 35% net cost increase. Now, we were able to help the shipper get that down a bit, but it was still, you know, all of the leverage at that point was in the carrier's hands, and there was no ability operationally to make a change. So it was what it was. There were some horror stories from not being diversified and not having other enemies. So do any of the carriers or shippers intelligent enough to ask for their volume not to be volume managed in the contract or to have guarantees? Is that outdated language today? It's harder language to get the carriers to agree to. But there's the real opportunity there in from a contractual standpoint is to not have your options limited, you know, to get early terminations, minimum commitment penalties, those sorts of things either taken out entirely or at least to give the shipper flexibility. It's hard for me to agree to, let's say, a minimum commitment penalty. You have to keep at least 90% of your volume with us. Oh, and by the way, I'm only going to service 85% of your volume. Well, contractually, I've got a 5% problem. Yeah, the two don't agree. Yeah, forget the operational challenges. I've just agreed to something that you say I can't do. That's a problem. That maybe is a good segue for us to talk about diversification. And one, when you talk about diversification, it used to be the big national carriers and diversifying amongst the three. But now it seems the regional carriers, well, when I hear diversification, the first thing I think now of is somebody asking me, do you use regional carriers? My question for you is, what's the industry's view on regional carriers right now, maybe even from a year ago to where it sits today, where capacity was an issue today? It's not an issue. Is regional carrier still the right solution, broadly speaking, obviously, but is it still a relevant solution for shippers? Yeah. Let me say, first of all, that I was probably picking a little bit on UPS in some of the previous conversations. I don't want that to be the takeaway from that. Not that I don't want to beat up on UPS, but FedEx and the other carriers were right in there. I was just using UPS as an example. To your question about regional carriers, yeah, I mean, diversification, in my mind, it has always been a key element of managing a parcel program. But certainly in the last two, three years, it's become an even more important part of that. Through 2021 and 2022, I mean, prior to that, the focus of negotiations were almost always primarily on cost savings or cost mitigation. In 2021 and 2022, I actually had more shippers telling me that their primary objective from a sourcing project was carrier diversification. That would have been unheard of prior to that. So the industry is focusing on it, has been focusing on it for the last couple of years. I am a little bit concerned that some of that interest is dropping off since capacity has come back into the market. Shippers tend to be looking at the market and saying, well, I'm seeing opportunities for cost savings again. And while true, and they should be looking to take advantage of that situation, I don't think it necessarily has to be or should be at the exclusion of carrier diversification. You know, why not both, right? If the national carriers have such a challenge of building density into the residentials and to the B2C segment, I would imagine that the regionals have even a greater challenge. Is that the case? To a point, yeah. But you've got to look, the regional carriers are looking to specialize even more than the national carriers, right? 
They're looking to service niche volume, which is a part of what's holding them back. In my opinion. They're focusing so much on those niches that it's causing them to get smaller percentages of a shipper's volume and therefore inhibiting their penetration, therefore inhibiting their growth. So, you know, one piece of advice I would have for the regionals is expand your scope a little bit. Look for things that are going to drive your growth, not just your margin. I will add into this in hopes that we have some regional organizations listening to this podcast. Regionals, expand your footprint because you're right. You can only use them in isolated situations, certain zip codes. And while that's good, it's very selective. And sometimes it's not worth the diversification because it's a lot to manage and a lot of algorithms to just get to that zip code, even though it's official. And you got kind of the opposite spectrum between the national and the regional. One's going small and very concentrated. The other's going wider, but it's costing more to get to those extended zip codes. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, there is one regional. I hesitate even to call them a regional anymore. What's going on with laser shipping on track in terms of expanding that footprint? I think that's a very interesting play and possibly a game changer. Have you ran into any examples or stories where somebody diversified, went to a regional, and it didn't work out as planned? The costs weren't there or the services, time and transit was an issue? It tends to be less of a cost issue. I mean, if you've done your homework, the costs should be more or less known. I have seen problems with technological integrations. It's something else the carrier, the regional carriers could work on. It's not always as quick as it could be. It's not always as smooth as it could be. They're decent at it, but they're not as sophisticated as the nationals yet. Give them a little bit of time and they'll get there. Obviously, we've seen operational challenges as well, where, you know, a pickup isn't happening the way it was supposed to happen as we went through the negotiations. It does happen. And there's a self-sabotage kind of situation that can happen too. Someone somewhere in your organization will be unhappy about that change. Perfect. That someone, if they have access to customers, will bring you customer horror stories. As soon as you start integrating that reach, it will happen. You've got to have a plan in place to mitigate those operational challenges, to write those operational challenges. And frankly, you've got to coach your organization to have patience to get things smoothed out. And integration takes time. No integration is 100% smooth. I don't care how good your planning is. And you've got to have the patience to allow a regional to succeed. Now, that doesn't mean if they come in and make a train wreck of your customer service organization, you should stay there indefinitely. But you've got to give a chance for those operational challenges to work through. Where would you say it makes the most sense to move to a, a regional and where would it not make sense if you were a shipper today? Well, I mean, I think there is a certain amount of critical mass you've got to have before moving to a regional or even carrier diversification in general makes sense. If you're a $2 million shipper, I'd hate to say this, but it may make sense to make the most of the leverage you have and consolidate under a single national. That's not an optimal solution generally, but it may be the best solution available to you. But it's a partnership in that regard. Yeah. Yes. And if you're going to do that, you better become your account executive's best friend and make sure that you know what's coming down the pipe. Where it makes sense really depends on your situation. There is no one plug and play 
best in class solution here because all the regionals are different. They service different geographical areas. They have different specializations that they do well. Really, what you need to start with isn't the regionals themselves. It needs to be what are your geographies and what are your requirements? And then go find a regional solution that makes sense for you. There just isn't one cookie cutter best approach. When you switch to a regional carrier, do you find that you lose track and trace visibility or checkpoint compliance or any of your transit movement reporting? Do the regionals have good data? Generally speaking, they do. I would say that the best are the ones that are asset-based and staffed carriers as opposed to USPS consolidators and those sorts of things. There's sometimes some drop-off of tracking when they make that handoff, but generally speaking, they're pretty good. Bouncing back away from the regional just for a moment and back to the national carriers as a single carrier strategy, what's the single most benefit to just adopting that solution as opposed to diversification and bleeding 10% off here and 5% here and you know a little bit to another carrier? What's the benefit of maximizing volumes and discounts to the national? For larger shippers, I'm not sure that there is a benefit. Maybe there used to be a benefit from consolidating and leveraging 100% of your volume. But I'm not sure that's the case anymore. You know, we've seen optimal solutions come out where you do have regional carve-outs where the cost is superior and you're able to leverage the remaining volume. And you're still probably talking about 80% of your volume unless you're implementing multiple regionals, which I would hesitate to implement more than two new regionals at any one time. Eat your meal, digest your meal, then go back for more. But the national carriers at 80% of your volume, so long as you're not giving them the 80% that's low margin or the lowest margin business, you don't want to make it look like the regionals are cherry picking and taking all of the cream off the top. But you can still negotiate a good price with your nationals. They won't like it. I've never seen a national react well to carving off volume. But The other case to be made is, well, if you don't want to lose that volume, find a way to deliver me the service and price I can get with this regional, and we have something to talk about. That's a good point, by the way. You're rarely just bringing on one regional. In most instances, you probably have to bring on two. Yeah, or more, but you don't necessarily have to implement them all at once. I've seen people try to implement four or five regionals all at one time. That's a recipe for chaos. So you were obviously on with FedEx and have kind of the inside perspective and view on it. Any advice for listeners to how to negotiate their contracts with parcel carriers, not so much the regionals, but with the national brands? I guess where I would start is I have shippers come to me often and not want to get down into the weeds and say, well, just give me a high level analysis of this, whatever this is. Frankly, there's no such thing as a high-level parcel analysis. There are too many variables. There are too many things that can swing the numbers. If you're not doing a package-level analysis, looking at everything from the discounts to the minimum package charges to the dim factors and the dim thresholds and the fuel and the minimum, there are so many variables that any one of them can swing the numbers $5 million. You've got to do package-level analytics. Don't use average package weights, don't use average zones, package by package re-rating. The second thing is, carriers will always tell you, when you ask for X 
X isn't negotiable. Everything is negotiable. Now, it may be true that you would have to expend so much negotiation capital that it's not worth it to negotiate on that, but everything is negotiable. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at amwarefulfillment.com. What's kind of the range that you see a carrier contract taking, whether it's a renewal, I guess, is it, are we talking weeks or months or half a year? What's a expectation? If you're going to include the prep time on the front end and any potential implementation time on the back end, I would say you're probably talking about at least five months. Then that's leaving a fairly tight timeline on the implementation. A lot of it comes down to the shipper. A lot of it comes down to the carrier, right? And the time of year. If you're trying to negotiate, you issue an RFP on December 1st, it's going to take a little while because the carriers frankly have other things to do right now. Even the pricing analysts are trying to manage all the general rate increases that are coming along. So, you know, it's, I guess I would say four months plus or minus three months. Yeah, it started in spring. Not <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Otherwise, you're going to get not a whole lot of great pricing back. No, I mean, the best time to renegotiate is always now. You know, the second best time is as soon as you can get in front of it. Yep. I hesitate to tell people to do it in spring because what does that mean for you as a shipper if it's October? Well, that means you've got to live with the prices you've got through peak. It's true. So just know that if you're trying to do it during peak you're going to have some headaches and you're going to have some delays. So there's all sorts of fees and schedules and accessorials and base rates, DIMs, you name it. If you had to give a listener, a shipper today who's listening, one or two pieces of advice that says, hey, go after these one or two areas to reduce some shipping costs now, where would you tell them or lead them to start looking? What advice would you tell somebody where they can maybe hit some low-hanging fruit right now for savings? Well, I'm going to preface this by saying your mileage may vary. It depends. The first task you need to do is go see where you're spending your money. I've had shippers come to me and say, well, yeah, but my two-day AM discount gets worse in this new proposal. I'm like, you shipped three packages under that service level last year. I don't care what your discount is on that. So learn what's driving your costs. Now, having said that, I think probably one of the easiest things to look at is the non-contractuals, right? The things that you're not going to negotiate with your carrier. Is your packaging optimal? Are you paying to ship a lot of air through dim weighting? Eliminate that, reduce that. Are you paying half a million dollars in address correction charges that could be resolved through address validation software? It's those sorts of things where you can get savings without expending negotiation capital. Make sure you're taking advantage of all those first. After you've done that, look at your rate caps, look at your min, look at your, frankly, your most common surcharges, which in most cases are going to be residential and delivery area and extended area surcharges. Look at your additional handling and large package. Again, your results may vary. The best place to save money is the places you haven't noticed in your last negotiation. 
Mm -hmm. Outside the rates, all those other fees likely that don't get the attention is the rates that we're fixated on, I think. And if you look at the general rate increases over the last five, 10 years, the percentage increase of surcharges has well outpaced the average increase of freight charges. Yeah. You see what's published is 6.9, but you pull it back and it's more like double digit. Yep. For sure. Stuff. I'm curious, how much does the base rate cost of your shipping spend versus all of the accessorials and fees? Is it 50% base and 50% all the other stuff, fuel and whatnot? Or how much is the base rate actually make up your total cost? On that's, that? a fair, that's a fair question. I mean, it's not uncommon to see if it's 50%, then you've got to check your surcharges. That would be extremely high. But it's not uncommon to see it in the high 20s or 30%. Yeah. Somewhere in that range. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. This has been, I mean, it was tongue in cheek and kind of half kidding, but this is probably a multi-series with parcel. <laughs> I mean, it represents, you know, the largest spend in the fulfillment environment. So it's worthy of more than one discussion, but I think a good place for people to start is to probably reach out and learn a little bit more about Intelligent Audit. Where can listeners go to find more about you, Joe, or Intelligent Audit? Yeah, well, I'm sure it'll come as a surprise, but intelligentaudit.com is the best place to <laughs> You can find us on LinkedIn as well, but intelligentaudit.com is the home. Okay. We'll leave a link for the listeners when we publish out the podcast and include it. Joe, it's been sincere pleasure talking to you about Parcel. Would love to have you back on soon. I appreciate I can talk about these things for days. So be careful what you wish for, Chad. Well, we led with this, this you know, the, the passion for Parcel. So, <laughs> and the power of Parcel. But again, thanks, Joe. This concludes our episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>